This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Listen, saints, if anything you know about your belief in Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian. I'm not talking about by title. I'm talking about being a real Christian, living for Jesus Christ, and boldly speaking of Christ with your coworkers, family, and friends, that everybody knows you, and they mention your name. Your name is associated with Jesus Christ. And if you're that Christian, not by name, but a real Christian, you need to understand that the power of the gospel and the heart of the gospel is Jesus and his resurrection. Being a follower of Christ won't exactly help you win any popularity contests. In fact, the Word promises that we'll face persecution in this world. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to persecution, as we'll see in today's message. Pastor Eddie shows us how, despite Paul's innocence, he was tried several times. You may face similar treatment today, but the reason is something you can rejoice over, because Jesus rose again. Now here's Pastor Eddie with today's edition of Running the Race. chapter 25, there is a new governor in town. Felix kind of messed up. He didn't build a good, strong relationship with the Jews and the Jewish leaders, and he really had a bad rep with them. So let us look at verse 1 of chapter 25. It says, now when Festus had come to the providence, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now again, for you students, when you look at the Bible map, you always go up to Jerusalem, even though it's south of Caesarea. Anywhere you go, because Israel, the mountain where it is, Mount Moriah, it's always the elevation is up, but they always go up to worship. So if you look at the scripture and it says going up to Caesarea, and you go back to your Bible maps, you're going to say, wait a minute, it's south. We go down. No, when it comes to Jerusalem, it's always I'm going up to Jerusalem. You're up north of Jerusalem, I'm going up to Jerusalem. So he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So now two years have passed and Portius Festus has taken over as governor. And on his third day as governor, he went up to Jerusalem for Caesarea. Now without wasting time, he was trying to build a relationship with the Jewish leaders. And so when a governor took place as a governor in Rome, and of course they governed over Jerusalem, you want to do the right thing. It's, it, you know, they call it rubbing shoulders with a politician and prominent people. You know, Festus is doing what any Roman governor would do is to build a relationship with the Jews. Because if not, governing over the Jews would be a very difficult it would be a problem. So you want to say, yeah, listen, I'm in charge. We're Rome. We are governing all this land. But hey, listen, let us create a peace. Just abide by our rules and Roman law, and we're good. And so this is what Festus is doing. He's taking over Felix. Felix was very unpopular, whose behavior for years have been very hostile towards the Jews. And so Rome knew this. I say, listen, this guy shouldn't have been there in the first place. And so now they have a new man. And so Festus now, guess what does he inherit? Who's in the cell when he comes to Caesarea? Paul. 
He inherits this, the case with Paul and the Pharisees and all the leaders that are going against him. They are asking for his death. They're asking for his death. And you know what? Listen, students, when you read things that are going on, there's a reason why this is in Scripture. It's not only historical. It's not only fact. But we're going to find that later on, as we see now, again, Christians are the minority right now. We're being attacked over and over again. And if you want to see how the enemy works, and you want to see how they're going to take Christians to court, are you going to see how they're going to force a Christian baker to bake a cake for a same-sex couple? You need to be alert, and you need to find out what the Scripture has to say. And Paul is pretty much in a different case, but Paul is being challenged all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all. And they have nothing against him. And so keep that in mind when you read this account, when you read chapter 24, 25, and 26 of the book of Acts, you'll find out this is what Paul's going through. And that's what our Christians are going through right now. We're going through that. We've been going through that for some time. Verse 2, then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. So right away they went to him. Okay, here's the new governor. He's in town. All the chief you know, leaders, the high priest went to him. They petitioned him. Verse 3, asking a favor against him that he would summit him to Jerusalem. Why? It says it right here in brackets. While they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Now, these religious leaders knew that they did not have a case against Paul. They didn't have a case against Paul, whether by the law of the Jews, whether against the temple or against Rome and Caesar. Paul was innocent. They didn't have a case. So the only way to get rid of Paul is to actually kill him. So now they're planning another ambush as the amended in chapter 23. Remember, they said, we made a vow. We won't eat or drink until we kill Paul. And that happened about a couple of years right now. I believe they gave in and had their little matzo ball soup, you know, because it was, you hear the grumbling, you know, listen, you made that vow, get Paul still alive two years later, uh, what are you going to do? And so here they're planning the same thing. And the only way they could get rid of him is to kill him. And so they're trying to get Festus, listen, Festus, can you remove over the case from Caesarea to Jerusalem? They didn't really plan to win the case in Jerusalem because they couldn't win the case in Jerusalem in the first place. They couldn't win the case when Paul stood before the Sanhedrin. They couldn't win the case when they stood before Felix. What difference does it make? The case is still the same. It doesn't matter where you have the trial. And so they figure, well, he's not going to win in Jerusalem anyway, but en route from Caesarea to Jerusalem, that's where we will plan the ambush to kill him. And Paul is so used to having a plot against him to kill him because why? He is a servant of God, and that's the work of the enemy. They want to destroy those. And so here's something to think about. After two years, when Paul went to Caesarea the first time to go stand before Felix, it's been two years now. You would think that these religious leaders, you think that the Sanhedrin council mixed up with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the high priests, you think they would say, you know what? It's two years ago. Let's forget about this. They still have this bitterness against Paul. They hate him so bad. Two years, they still have that hatred in their heart, murder in their heart. They want to kill him. I believe it's because they see the fruit of his ministry, even while he's in prison. Well, he's not arrested. He's incarcerated. He's there in protective custody because there's no case against him. But they saw the impact that this one little short Jewish bow-legged man did. The change that brought the gospel throughout the world and brought it to the Gentiles. The hatred was so 
real, but they want him killed after two years. And so Festus answered the Jewish leaders in verse 4. It says, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea. And if he himself was going there shortly, verse 5, therefore he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. You know, they thought they had this plot going. Well, there's a new governor. Maybe, you know, he could do us the favor. Just move the case over to Jerusalem. You know, they were just planning. Yeah, we could ambush this guy. Who are those guys that, you know, made that vow before to kill him? They weren't going to eat and drink, you know? They're probably skinny bones right now. Get those guys. We know they still want him. They want him dead. And so they're thinking now, it's not working with this new governor. It's not going to happen. And so they thought thought they would have a better chance with the governor. And then when they had remained there, verse 6, among them more than 10 days, Paul is still, the days are counting. Paul's there in prison. Uh, again, he's not arrested. He committed no crime. He's just there in protective custody. Um, Festus is still in Jerusalem some 10 days, rubbing shoulders with the other politicians and you know, prominent men and all religious leaders. And it says, and when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea, which is really up geographically. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Now, you remember before when they stood before Felix and they brought these charges against Paul with, you know, saying that he was a one who creates riots because in Rome it was illegal to cause a riot, be a part of riot, you would be in prison. He falsely accused of bringing, of defiling the temple, which he did not. Now, these were charges they brought against Paul. Now, they could win their case, so they figured they'd go another route. They brought that case before Felix. It didn't work. They had the high-powered lawyer. It didn't work. And now what's next? The next thing you're going to do? Now it's only complaints. That's what you're going to find here. It's no longer serious charges. Now it's a complaint against him. You have a man arrested because of a complaint? You see how it gets down? The charges are no longer serious, but they just complain. It says, while he answered for himself, so here's Paul. Paul is a wise man, doesn't need a lawyer, doesn't need a defense attorney. Hey, listen, I'm here, I'm going to defend myself. I believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says in verse 8, he says, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. Paul said, listen, I'm innocent. I've offended no one. No one. And so Festus is going now himself to try to resolve the matter. Okay, listen, I can't resolve, so let's see, maybe if we move it down just to get these religious Jewish leaders out of my hair and just to, you know, again, I'm new here. I'm a new governor. I want to I wanna appease them. I want to please the people. And that's usually the case today. Leaders always want to please the people, not what's right for the people and what the people want, but just to please people. And most of the time is always the prominent people. But Festus, verse 9, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and says, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So he's giving them the favor. They ask for a favor and he's trying to give them the favor. Now, can you imagine Paul at this time being bounced around 
you know, he has to be in protective custody for over two years. Days are passing by. This governor has now been in his seat for maybe at least a month by now. And Paul is wondering, okay, maybe Festus would probably be one who has a little more wisdom and understanding. And maybe he's one who's a real governor to take charge and make a right decision in the matter. But now Paul is being questioned whether the case should be moved over to Jerusalem. Remember Paul, remember his nephew? Paul's nephew heard the plot before by these men who decided to be on a diet. Remember, he went to him and Paul already knew, listen, and he knew what what difference does it make? You haven't proved the case. Three times I stood before you. You couldn't prove the case. You have no evidence. We bounced. We, We had the case before the Sanhedrin council there in Jerusalem. We had the case there before Felix. And now I have to go back to Jerusalem. He knows about the plot. Nothing happened. Right now, Paul's probably saying, you know what? Enough's enough. Enough of these games. Look what happens. He continues to speak. In verse 10, so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong. No wrong. I've done no wrong to the Jews. He stood before them. Even before the Jewish leader council, remember when he stood before them in chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 9. This is what the Pharisees said about Paul. It says, and the scribes of the Pharisees party arose in protest saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Knowing when Paul said, listen, this is one thing I confess. I believe in the resurrection. And so the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and that's why we say they're sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. Well, the Pharisees did. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in the angels. They believe in spirits. And you would think these guys would get together and they're governing Israel. And there's a division even in theology. And Paul knew this. That's why he spoke of the resurrection. Because the heart of the gospel, saints, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once he mentioned this, that's when the Pharisees say, hey, wait a minute. He's a son of the Pharisee. You know, he's a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee himself. He believes in resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. So that brought up the vision, and that's what they said. So he says, to the Jews I've done no wrong, in verse 10. As you very well know, but he says in verse 11, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. If I deserve death, the punishment, I do not object to it. He's willing to die. I've committed the crime. I would do the time. And death, if it's a part of it, I'm willing to die. I I have no objection to dying. And he said, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, because they have no proof, no one can deliver me to them. And here's what he says that's very important. I appeal to Caesar. Whoa. You could almost imagine the oohs and the ahs in this whole auditorium. Before the Jewish leaders, before Festus and all his men and the commanders. I appeal to Caesar. Here Paul uses his right as a Roman citizen. Listen, you're playing games. I know my right. And I could have used that right from the very beginning, but I think Paul was one who knew that he was in the will of God. If it was me, forget it. I was, I'll use all the rights I can, trust me. You know. But here, Paul, Jesus appeared to him. He says, listen, Paul, I'm with you. 
when he was there in the prison the first time. He said, I'm with you. Just as you testify for me in Jerusalem, you will testify for me in Rome. And Paul says, listen, okay, I got that. That's cool. I'm good. I'm following the Lord. He's going to take me to Rome. I desire to go to Rome. He's going to take me to Rome. And so, but here he realized, okay, this is it. As a Roman citizen, if a Roman citizen felt that they were not getting a fair trial, or if their initial trial and appeals failed to reach satisfactory decision, they can appeal to the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire. That is to appeal to Caesar. That's what he said. You know what? I want to go to the Supreme Court. You guys can't handle it. Let's go to the Supreme Court. And Paul uses his right. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. I mean, Festus has no choice. He has no choice in the matter. He's probably saying, what are we going to do now, guys? He's appealed to Caesar, you know? He can't deny him his right because he stood there before everyone. Festus cannot deny that. Now Festus, he has a problem. He inherited a problem, and he has a bigger problem. He has to now answer to Caesar, why has this man been in prison for so long? There's no evidence, hasn't been charged with anything. And he's a Roman citizen. He's going to have a problem. He's going to have a problem. And so, in verse 13, he says, And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So King Agrippa, this is King Agrippa II, the son of King Agrippa, obviously the first, but the great-grandchild of Herod the Great. You know who Herod the Great is for you students of the word. Herod the Great was the one that so desperately wanted to destroy Jesus Christ, the baby the babe, the Christ child, and he ordered the death of every child two years and under. That's his great-grandfather. He's here with his sister Bernice. Bernice is King Agrippa II is about early 30s, and his sister is just one year younger than him. She was born right after. There's been some rumors about these two, that she'd been married twice before, and that the brother-sister relationship, that's what You know, tradition says, but we don't know that for sure. But these two come in. They come into town. And so here, Caesar is visiting Festus. And Festus, he takes the opportunity to seek King Agrippa's counsel. He's the king. I have to bring this before him before I go to Caesar. And so here it is, verse 14. When they had been there many days, so Paul is still in prison, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. I want to make it clear. Listen, it wasn't me. This is Felix. I inherited it. This is his problem. About who the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for judgment against him. And so he's making it clear to them. This is what they're asking. And, of course, they're asking for judgment. Now, the word judgment here in the Greek is not like, okay, let's decide whether Paul was guilty or not. They just want him to be punished. They want a penalty against him. That's what they were asking. That's the kind of judgment they were asking. They said, listen, we want a penalty for this man. They didn't say, well, listen, you know, we have all this evidence because obviously they didn't have evidence. So they're asking for a judgment. And Festus continues to tell King Agrippa, he says, to them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face. And has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. And that's what they did. That's what Paul did twice. 
Now he's going to do it a third time. Therefore, he says, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things, I suppose. So he believed that there were some serious charges. So he hears the complaint, because this time is a complaint, remember? There was no accusations against Paul. He says, but no accusation against him of such things, I suppose. So he thought there were going to be some serious crimes. You know, he committed murder. He defiled the temple. He did something. Nothing. 18, when the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things, as I suppose. But in verse 19, had some questions, no accusations, just questions against him about their own religion, and about a certain Jesus, this is the heart of it, who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about the riots. It was a lie. It wasn't going against Caesar. It wasn't against the temple. It wasn't against the Jewish law. Paul interpreted the law. But it was because the question is against Jesus Christ, and he's alive. The question is about Jesus and his resurrection. And can I tell you, that is always going to be the root of the problem. When the world is against Christianity, when the world is against the church, it's not for anything but because of Jesus and his resurrection, he's alive. These Pharisees are going against him. This time around, the Pharisees didn't have the great lawyer, Tertullus, with them. They didn't accuse him, as they did in chapter 24, of being a plague, a creative dissension among the Jews and throughout the world. They didn't accuse him as being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, which is the people of the way. They didn't accuse him of trying to profane the temple. No, all they did was ask questions against Paul. The question was against what Paul believed. The question is against what you and I believe, and that is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's to mock it. It's to be a skeptic. It's to mock your belief as a Christian. That's what it's all about. And that's what we're going to have today. That's what we're having today. We've been going on for some time now. There will always be a case today against the church and those who believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Listen, saints, if anything you know about your belief in Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian. I'm not talking about by title. I'm talking about being a real Christian, living for Jesus Christ. And boldly speaking of Christ with your coworkers, family, and friends, that everybody knows you and they mention your name. Your name is associated with Jesus Christ. And if you're that Christian, not by name, but a real Christian, you need to understand that the power of the gospel and the heart of the gospel is Jesus and his resurrection. That's the power of the gospel. The Bible is the central place for us to turn to as Christians for understanding and direction. While there are many wonderful books, websites, and resources to help churches with growth, the book of Acts is the foundation for biblical church growth. Join us as Eddie teaches through Acts verse by verse. To listen to this message in its entirety, simply log on to runningtheraceradio.com. That's runningtheraceradio.com. Although running the race is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. 
It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches the Word of God from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel of Milford. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on Service Times. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero. Please join us next time for the next edition of Running the Race.